With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Episode 7 of the Family Medicine Rocks podcast on tonight's show. I'm coming to you live here from the great city of New Orleans. I'm here at the uh, annual spring conference for the uh, Society of Teachers of Family Medicine meeting. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about the social media projects that are going on here this week. And also coming up uh, in a little bit, Dr. Mark Ryan, uh, also known as Richmond Doc on Twitter, We'll be talking about the Family Medicine FAMMED chat. We'll be talking about the meeting here this week. We'll be talking about trying to and hopefully succeeding in live video streaming some a couple of the sessions here this week. So very excited about that. All that and a lot more coming up on episode number seven of the Family Medicine Rocks podcast starting right now. Hi, this is Kevin Bernstein, MD Student 31 on Twitter, and I listen to Family Medicine Rocks with Mike Sevilla. Welcome to the show that is passionate about medicine and social media. This is the Family Medicine Rocks podcast. I am your host. My name is Mike Savella, family physician and social media enthusiast. What is this show about? I tell people this is uh, social media through the eyes of a family physician. You can check out the website at familymedicinerocks.com. You can also join us on Twitter and Facebook. Shout out to all 100 and 46 people who like the Facebook uh, page. And uh, also shout out to all 6,068 people who are following me on Twitter. I don't know why, but I very much appreciate that. You can also listen to this show in real time on your mobile device, including your iPhone, Droid, Blackberry, Windows 7, whatever you have out there. Just direct your mobile browser to blogtalkradio.com slash famedrocks. Today is Wednesday, April 27, and it is 8 p.m. Central, 9 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. And here in the great city of New Orleans, feels like 86 degrees Fahrenheit. Uh, coming up on the uh, show here this evening, and we're going to be talking about the uh, meeting here uh, this week. Uh, it is the annual spring conference for the uh, Society of Teachers of Family Medicine meeting. And uh, very excited. To, I've never been to this 
conference before. I've been to another STFM conference in the past. And uh, we'll also be talking about, uh, very excited about the, the newest Twitter chat that's out there, FamMed Chat. Uh, the first edition was last week, and uh, very excited um, about that. We'll be talking about that with our guest, Dr. Mark Ryan, also known as Richmond Doc. Uh, actually, yeah, Richmond Doc on Twitter. So uh, we'll be uh, talking with him in a little bit. Just some random thoughts here, kind of uh, kind of starting out the show. I just landed here in the Big Easy less than an hour ago, so I have been spending the last hour trying to get this connection going, and uh, we'll see if this internet connection holds up through the mist of the show, because sometimes when I go on location, you never know what the uh, connection is going to be, how's it going to sound like, Uh, so uh, it'll be very interesting to see kind of how this show goes here uh, this evening. Uh, But as I landed here in uh, New Orleans, uh, I uh, was thinking to myself that I was driving in to the uh, hotel uh, that this is the first time that I've been back here to New Orleans after uh, Katrina. Um, I was at a meeting here. Um, I think it, it was the, it was a year before Katrina, and um, as I was as I was coming in uh, to the hotel here, I was trying to uh, imagine the city here. Uh, you know, definitely like underwater, uh, like all the television pictures were showing um, all those years back then and trying to imagine in my mind going, you know, over these bridges and, uh, and seeing, trying to imagine what it was, what it looked like back then uh, because I haven't been back here since then. And I was just trying to, to, to piece together in my mind, um, you know, where, where I was here before where I was walking um, and, and trying to, to see as I walk around the city here the, in the next uh, few days, trying to piece together all the stuff that I saw on the news reports there. So it was kind of a, a little bit of a surreal uh, type of experience there coming back uh, to the city after after years uh, gone by. I do want to give a big uh, shout-out, too. As, as I was uh, coming uh, in uh, to the hotel here, I, I just saw the, uh, uh, I just saw the, the news reports uh, from the uh, tornadoes there in uh, Alabama, our, our good friend uh, Dana Lewis, uh, who is uh, from the uh, Seattle area, who is originally from that area, and I saw her uh, tweeting some updates uh, and uh, that she did hear from friends and family in that area. And I uh, uh, just wanted to uh, just say, you know, hope everybody is out there is doing okay. And uh, I know that she's been getting a lot of uh, a lot of support, uh, at least from the people on Twitter. Um, and uh, that, that's, that's nice to see here in, in social media, uh, seeing uh, some of that support um, out there when uh, news stories uh, break uh, like this, and it's just happened in the past uh, few hours. Um, so kind of switching gears here, so, so this meeting here uh, in, in New Orleans, I'm very excited about it. Um, I'm going to be presenting here um, uh, in a couple days, and uh, we're going to be getting, that, getting into that with our guest, uh, so I'm going to be talking about what else, uh, medicine and uh, social media, and uh, uh, just kind of previewing kind of our conversation here, uh, some of the things we're going to be doing here. Um, people who happen to be listening to this show now or later, uh, we're going to be uh, using the uh, the hashtag here, STFM, 
uh, which I'm very excited about to see kind of how that blossoms over the next uh, few days. Um, and we're going to be trying to do some live video streaming. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see what the Internet connection here is in the hotel. I did bring some video equipment with me to try to uh, live video stream this. I've seen this done before at other types of conferences, and we're going to see how that goes. There are two uh, lectures uh, that uh, we're going to try out to do the uh, live video streaming and uh, we'll see, we'll see what happens with that. And of course, tomorrow night, um, which we'll talk about probably in a lot of detail, is uh, the uh, Thursday, um, April 28th. Um, it'll be 9 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Central, the second uh, Fam Med chat. Uh, so very excited to uh, to uh, get into this things here tonight. But first, I do want to thank uh, Blog Talk Radio for featuring the show here again this evening on the front page. Um, I have been a social media hobbyist since 2005, and if you're curious, yes, I am a real doctor. I am a family physician in full-time private practice back home in beautiful northeastern Ohio. If you're listening live, uh, I usually have a webcam going but uh, on, on the page here, but I don't tonight because I didn't know what, what the uh, bandwidth would be to carry a video stream here on the Block Talk Radio site. I was afraid it might just crash down everywhere, so... Uh, but we do have a chat room here, and I want to give a big shout-out to MB Student 31 and also Tuck, who is uh, in our chat room here uh, this evening. Thank you uh, for joining me uh, and our guest. And if you can give me just a little, little shout-out there in the chat room just to let us know how our sound is here uh, this evening, and uh, that will definitely help me out here. So we will take our break, and uh, we will have our guest uh, here coming up right after the break. Uh, you're listening to the Family Medicine Rocks podcast. Uh, in partnership with the Family Medicine Education Consortium. You can get there by going to fmec.net. Uh, and also a, a proud member of the ProMed Network uh, podcast. You can get there by going to promednetwork.com. And we'll be right back with our guest live from New Orleans. Don't go anywhere. <laughs> That's right, social media through the eyes of a family physician. This is the Family Medicine Rocks podcast. On the line we have with us right now um, is actually it's kind of funny because we're in the same city. We're probably in the same hotel, but uh, we're on, you know, I, I, could, I couldn't set up my computer to have two microphones on it. I'm an idiot or I'm a big snob. But uh, welcome, uh, Dr. Mark Ryan, to the show. Richmond Doc, welcome to the show there, sir. Thank you very much for having me, for inviting me to, to share some thoughts and to spend some time tonight. Um, yeah, it'd be funny if we were in the same room across from each other. That would be really, really <laughs> But I guess we'll have That'll to be... pull that out later. Yes, yes. Well, we're going to have our own little uh, post-show uh, thing here, and uh, people can follow us on Twitter. And uh, um, I told all my friends, you know, um, you know, they're 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 out there for us, Airmark, uh, you know, to, to bail us out, no questions asked, mm-hmm. you know, throughout the whole week. So, uh, so uh, really good friends out there. Uh, always a good time when you're going someplace uh, that has a reputation for fun. 
have someone have your back and your bail money. That's right. That's right. Uh, so did you just get here today there, Mark, or did you get yeah. here yesterday? Or? No, uh, we, we we came in uh, this morning. We flew out of Richmond at uh, about 6 in the morning. Um, I had never been to New Orleans before, actually. This is my first time, and the next couple of days, as you've as you've alluded to, are, are pretty packed. So this was an opportunity to get in a little bit early, um, get a lay of the land, kind of look around, see the city a little bit before we got busy enough that um, it would be more more of a challenge to step away and do some of that. So uh, we walked around. My, my wife Janet here with me, so we walked around, saw some of the city, and now um, are feeling the time difference a little bit. You know, it's an hour later than it feels like it's supposed to be. Did, it, did you get to see anything uh, fun today or get to, get to see some of the culture or uh, some yeah, music so, that's happening um, today? We actually went um, into the French Quarter. Um, when I went to undergraduate school, um, one of our professors, one of our religion professors, was very interested in architecture, in American architecture in, in general, specifically religious architecture, but also just architecture as a whole. So um, whenever we travel, we usually end up in old parts of cities, and most of our photos involve old buildings, churches, cathedrals, gardens, things that are that we think are really, really good memories. There's almost no photos of us in any of our pictures ever. Um, but really? by mutual agreement. Yeah. So it's sort of a mutually agreed upon disarmament. Neither one of us will snap candidates of the other under penalty of um anger and frustration. Um so instead, we have uh, a lot of pictures of some of the ironwork, uh, some of the the old old buildings in the colon in the in the historic district, um, the St. Louis Cathedral stuff that is just really beautiful and uh, very unlike much of what you'll see throughout the U.S. Otherwise. Wow! Well, great, great. Yeah, we'll be uh, we'll be talking that in the in the midst of the week here. So, um, so Mark, why don't we just kind of dive into things here, um, and. Uh, it's something that I really enjoy about this show is is having people tell stories, uh, tell mm-hmm. stories about how they got to where they're at. Um, so, so we'll, my next question will be to you: will be, can you kind of tell us, um, you know, how you came to, you know, go to medical school, or do you feel like calling mm-hmm. to go to medical school, and and then and then family medicine as your specialty? Can you share that with us? Yeah, yeah, oh, happy to. Um, I actually did decided on medical school uh, fairly late in undergraduate. I uh, was interested in science. I was uh, taking biology, but I was a little undecided between um, a medical school or a postgraduate PhD type program. Um, but as I got into my junior year, um, I had taken the prerequisites, but hadn't actually declared anything formal. And probably through my junior year, I came to the determination that I saw myself. Um, more on the medical side than on the basic science side, so I went ahead and made the the step official. Um, Almost gave my pre-med advisor a heart attack because he had no idea who I was. He had no idea if I'd done any of the requirements or if I was on track the way I should be, and I was able to reassure him that at least I had kept up on the academic side, but I had to scramble to get all of the volunteer service, clinical experience, the stuff that I should have done earlier, kind of taken care of in the last a few semesters before I, I did my MCAT and sent in my applications. Um, during my senior year, um, undergraduate, I, w- I went to the College of William and Mary in Virginia. Um, the same religion professor I mentioned who uh, likes or is very interested, I should say, in architecture. As part of a project for one of his classes, we spent uh, some classes and I spent a weekend on the eastern shore of Virginia 
um, I don't know if you're familiar with the state, but it's it's only connected with the rest of the state by the Bay Bridge Tunnel. And at that time, this is back in 95, um, it was a very, very isolated place. It's, it's, it's still very rural. It's developed some in the last few years, but still very rural, still very much a separate entity from the rest of the Commonwealth in many ways, physically and sort of cultural and heritage-wise. There's a lot of differences. Um, and it was my first time um, spending any time away from um, either college or nor- Northern Virginia, which was home when my parents uh, were not stationed overseas. And it was the first time I really realized the difficulties that communities faced in rural settings and the difficulties um, that people faced accessing needed services. There's, um, it, it just hadn't come to mind before. I think I understood at some level, but I don't think I really got it at a really practical level. So I applied to medical school, was accepted into um, what was then sort of transitioning from the Medical College of Virginia, MCV, to officially being re, sort of redesignated the Virginia Commonwealth University School of Medicine. Um, and I, I started there in, two, in 1996. Knew from very early that I was not going to be in a surgical specialty. It just was not something I was interested um, mainly because of lifestyle issues, and I knew I was not a terribly hands-on, fix-it sort of person, um, but was debating between pediatrics, family medicine, kind of going back and forth. And uh, my mentor, my first uh, first informal and then formal advisor as an M1 and an M2, was uh, one of the family physicians in, in our department who still is in the department now. Um, she... And I got along really well. I think we had similar outlooks on the role of medicine, uh, which to me is is a role of service. It's a service career. It's a vocation. You really need to want to do what you're doing if you're in the field, um, because there's 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 easier ways to you know have a well-paying job or easier ways to to get through life if you say, if you want to look at it that way, than going through medical school and then training and then getting into practice finally. Um, so she saw medicine, I think, very much as a service career, very much as a vocation in a similar way. And I, I just started kind of aligning with family medicine more and more just by her influence. And when I decided that I wanted to be in an underserved community, specifically in a rural community, um, family medicine made all the sense in the world because I'd met rural family docs and rural docs of other specialties. And the sense I was getting is if you're the only doc in the town, you're going to see whoever needs to be seen. Um, you might be a pediatrician and you'll have a certain cutoff you may not be comfortable with, but you're going to have to be more flexible than you would if you had multiple physicians in one area. So family medicine was the one field that let me do all of these things. It let me work with children, work with adults, work with geriatric patients, um, do some small surgeries or some small procedures if I chose to. Um, And then as I got into medical school more and more, the um, community focus, the population-based focus, some of the uh, principles of public health, things that just are part and parcel of what uh, family medicine involves, especially in, in an underserved community or rural site, um, just really spoke to me as, as that big-picture, holistic perspective that I seemed um, to really line up with. It really fit what I saw myself doing. Um, so I, I had decided on family medicine probably partly through my first year of med school maybe at the latest, the beginning of second year, and then just carried through um, the interest all the way through the, the next couple of years until I applied to residencies. Um, now, and, uh, and, and um, 
in, in reading about you, um, you also have a, a passion and an interest for international experiences. Mm-hmm. You, you did some work, I think, in the Dominican Republic. Can, can you right. can you tell me about your interest right. and your passion about taking care of patients mm-hmm. outside the country? Right. So, um, as I as I mentioned in passing, my my parents were in the Foreign Service in the State Department. At least um, my, my dad was, and then my mom uh, joined later. And we lived most of my childhood overseas in Argentina and Venezuela. And um, in residency, I didn't at the time. I, I did my residency in, in Blackstone, Virginia, a small rural town. There really was an opportunity that I was aware of to go overseas until at the very end of residency, uh, there was a trip that went to Honduras. A, a physician who had signed on had to back out for health reasons, but offered to donate their ticket if the program could find someone else to come. So it was my first experience working internationally. Um, I speak Spanish. This was a chance to work in a Spanish-speaking country. I had trained in a rural site. I was going to be working in rural Honduras. It seemed like an interesting experience at, at, at the very least. And when I got down there, um, it was it was eye-opening in the way that the uh, time on the eastern shore had been. Um, it was my first time working without any backup. You know, even in an outpatient setting, you have labs, you may have x-ray, you have something you can turn to if you need some diagnostic help, um, either in the office or not too far away. Um, in this hospital, it was a missionary hospital in the mountains, you had yourself, your colleagues, and whatever diagnostic equipment you brought with you, which is basically your stethoscope and your otoscope, and a small pharmacy that didn't exactly match what you would need sometimes. So you had to be you actually had to practice medicine the way that many of us, I think, think it should be done, which is you talk to the patient, you listen to their answers, you um, ask questions, you explore the circumstances, you work your way through the, the diagnostic process, and then you do your physical exam to um, assess the accuracy of what you were thinking, to determine how close you were, to modify your your diagnosis, et cetera, and then you figure out your, your treatment plan. And it was hugely hugely educating, even in just those few days I was there. Um, after that, when I was in private practice, I worked in four years in Keysville, Virginia, which is a, a small town on Southside, Virginia. Um, I was approached by undergraduates from the College of William & Mary who wanted to start an international program in the Dominican Republic. Um, I was born there when my parents were stationed there, so there was a little bit of the lure of going, quote-unquote, home. You know, I, I lived there for only a, a few months, but it's still... There was some resonance there, and we started working in a small in a community outside of Santo Domingo as a small project, which has developed progressively over the last uh, five years. Now we've been in Paraíso um, since 2006. We now have two trips a year: one focused with undergraduates from William and Mary, and volunteer physicians and residents and medical students who go help us out in the winter, in, in January, and then in June. Uh, we go back with medical students from VCU Medical School and uh, pharmacy students from the School of Pharmacy at VCU, and we go back to the same community. Um, with the understanding, the, the whole premise of the work we do being that a short-term medical trip is is of some limited value. I mean, you'll see some people that need care short-term, and you'll give them what they need, and they'll be fine. But when you leave, you may not have done as much as you'd like to think you did. So part of the principle we work on is partnering with the community, finding local resources, local medical providers, local public health resources, uh, organizing the community itself to try to address some of the 
uh, fundamental, some of the foundational issues affecting health, drinking water, nutrition, things like that, and try to work with the community to identify um, solutions to those problems. Um, and that's become a bigger thing now that BCU is sending the trip down in the summer. Um, we actually have the ability Hmm. You still there? Or am I still here? That's always a that's always a interesting thing here. Uh, I'm still here. Um, 
I'd heard, the, the blog I started, I think, in 2009, more or less, mainly because I was jealous of my wife. She has a couple of blogs that were uh, that were pretty pretty active at the time. Uh, she's gotten busier with other things now, so I haven't been doing as much with it, but she was blogging a fair amount. And Richmond, Virginia, has an interesting uh, set of really hyper-local blogs where each neighborhood in the city may have kind of a, a news aggregator um, blog talking about local issues, and then it all gets collected into one central site. And I loved the idea of information being spread through these, these 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 connections that you weren't hearing about on the normal media outlets. So I, I started my blog, which uh, for a long time, I, I don't think I really know what to do with it. Um, my intent was to talk about what it was like working in underserved communities. Um, as I mentioned, after residency, I worked in a rural community. Then I came back to Richmond to work in an underserved community on the south side of the city. And then internationally, we work with marginalized communities. And I thought it would be an interesting um, exercise to kind of talk about the challenges of working in underserved medicine, which is where the blog got its name from. Um, it has developed into much more of a healthcare reform sort of blog. It hasn't really been just me telling stories about my day-to-day -day life. I think because I felt very strongly that physicians needed to have a voice in the healthcare reform process. However, you felt about it. It was necessary for us to be in the conversation or else decisions would be made without physician input. Twitter then grew out of that shift in the blog's focus. When I started talking more um, about healthcare reform, I also started looking at Twitter as an option to, to try to make my voice heard. I, I compared it to standing on the street corner on the soapbox. I can sit there and I can yell <laughs> yeah. and talk and shout. And people can decide to stop by and listen for a few minutes. Some people will ignore you. Some people will will, you know, heckle back, but some people will stop and actually have a dialogue or talk to you. And I started right, making some right. connections. I started putting together uh, a few links. And then as the healthcare reform process carried on, um, I became increasingly active on Twitter and then started running into people who in Richmond were sort of central nodes, you know, somebody who is connected to a lot of other people I wouldn't meet otherwise. And uh, started to make more extensive connections and then one of those connections, Nick Dawson, who works with Bonsa Corps, one of our local health systems, mentioned the HCSM chat on Sunday nights. And I put my head in there, and I saw a lot of really interesting ideas about how um, social media tools and these communication techniques that we have through social media could benefit a lot of people. And I started participating without, I think, any intent specifically to be involved as actively as I have been. But as I was going through the conversations, I was seeing a lot of people talking, you know, as corporate communications folks, a lot of patient advocates, a very strong <laughs> patient component, um, some policy people, a, a few folks from other interested areas. But not a lot of physicians were on the chat, not a lot of doctors were on the chat at least, at least not, right. very few that, that were publicly identifying themselves as such. And I began to think, similar to my thought on healthcare reform, if we're talking about social media and healthcare communications, there's there's a role for physicians and healthcare providers to be in the discussion. And I know I don't represent every physician, but I at least can talk about some of the issues from the physician side. Um, and I started being a little bit more active in the chat. It became very clear that um, the chats were very open to input from all different sorts of perspectives. 
and um, the, the links, the, the connections, the networks, you know, those interrelated um, accounts, people who know people, so you meet people along the way. It, it just sort of growing to the point where it became more and more obvious to me that there was a lot of strength in this, and it's more an issue, I think, of figuring out how it can be used more so than will it be used. I think it will end up playing a role in how we work with patients. It's just a matter of figuring out how, in what context, in what ways. Well, I admit that um, that uh, I, I, I was a lurker for a long time uh, for the HCSM chat uh, because I didn't really kind of get it uh, when I started lurking and kind of say, what was all this about? I was, I, you know, who was really hanging out there and, and who were these people? And, and uh, it wasn't until I, I met Nick Dawson in person and I met Dana Lewis in person and I asked them, I'm like, you know, what is, what's the deal with this? You know, what, you know, what, uh, what's the idea of it? You know, is there some kind of underlying kind of goal here or, you know, something that is nefarious or something that I shouldn't be really associated with? So it wasn't until I met them in person, you know, and saying, hey, you know, can you explain this to me? Is it just people just kind of getting together? Is there some kind of, like, political agenda that's going on here that I really wasn't, you know, understanding or, you know, that type of thing? So, um, so like you, you know, I was observing this this chat on Sunday mm-hmm. night, and I really, I really wasn't understanding it um, until mm-hmm. I talked to some of these people in person and say, hey, you know, what, you know, what, what are you trying to get here? And, and it wasn't until, until I talked to them that, that they were able to, you know, explain it to me because, you know, and we'll talk about chats too during during our conversations. Like it's it's kind of hard to explain what a, what a Twitter chat is um, to to people who or even on Twitter or or, or mm. who you know do Twitter all the time because it's it, it's 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 kind of a chat. It's it's kind of a um, it's kind of intimidating if, if if you if you're not really you know that right. familiar with how the thing works, especially the way ATSM is has grown. I mean, even for someone. Who does these relatively often? The uh, the amount of discussion, the number of people involved in the discussion, is huge, and it's great because you get input from so many folks. But it gets really tough sometimes to keep up with the flow of information. And in that um, the the best way I can think to explain it to somebody would be to say it's sort of like the normal interaction you have on Twitter, but accelerated, you know, a hundredfold. Because on every every day we're retweeting things, we're replying to each other, we're um, asking a question, we're trying to provide an answer. Um, for those of us who are active in Twitter, it's it's a pretty common occurrence daily that we're we're doing some of this. But the difference is you're doing it all in one hour, and you're doing it with maybe ten or fifteen or twenty or thirty people all doing the same thing at the same time. Right. So right. it's sort of like what we do anyway, but the pace and the amount of direct back and forth conversation is much higher because everyone's there at that same moment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I've actually been a little shy about referring folks to HCSM in terms of looking at Twitter chats because I, I worry that just the amount of what happens maybe intimidates some folks. Not that um, it, it is. That would it is. people uh, away, and, but and it's... I, yeah. yeah, and I totally, I totally understand what you're saying. You know, just trying to refer people there, it's just like a, a whole... You know, well, you know, like they say, you know, the the whole you know drinking from a fire hose type of thing. I mean, the things are flying out so fast right, um, right. that if, if you're there for the first time, you're like totally intimidated, which I was for a long time. So, right. so I definitely understand what you're saying. Right. Or, or at the very least, if if if, you know, if I mention it, I mentioned to to anyone I refer there that 
the group is really welcoming. Dana Lewis does a great job moderating it, making sure that um, the community is respectful of each other. If someone has a point of view, it can be heard. It may not be agreed with, but the disagreements will not be ugly. They won't be um, negative towards each other, more just, you know, I have a different perspective on this. And that makes it easier when you're doing this early because you know that you can say something and you're not going to be dismissed offhand. Um, but it, I also mentioned some of the other chats that we do, like uh, MD chat and now Sam Med chat for people with an interest in these areas because as these chats develop, they're getting bigger, but they're still not at the pace of the HCSM chat on Sunday. And for some people, it may be a little bit easier to get some experience on that level before they try to dive in. Um, exactly. But each of them, exactly. each of them handles different topics, you know. So you, you can't just—I don't think it's something where you can tell someone, "Well, you need this chat, not that," because you may be interested in both. But just be aware: this one is very different from the other. This one is different from these others because of um, the number of people that pays the information, and it, it may take a, a couple of sessions, just kind of watching and observing and lurking in the background to get a feel for how it flows before you feel 100% comfortable to dive in. But when you dive in, know that you'll be received, know that you'll be accepted into the group, and the, the discussion will be developed by what you've been able to offer as an opinion or knowledge or perspective or what have you. Um, I guess on the line here is uh, Dr. Mark Ryan, a Richmond doc on Twitter and uh, moderator for the first uh, FAM Med Chat. Our next uh, FAM Med Chat will be uh, tomorrow night, Thursday night, April 28 at 9 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, Mark, t- tell me about how it was uh, being the moderator for, for a chat. I mean, obviously not something like as voluminous as, as HCSM, but, but how was it sitting kind of in the driver's seat there uh, last week as you're, as you're trying to go through this? I mean, and, and, and uh, maybe uh, in addition to that, maybe just uh, you know, maybe just um, <clears throat> give some thoughts or advice uh, for people mm-hmm. who are thinking about you know doing some of these moderating type duties. Right. Um, if, if if Kevin, if MD student thirty one, still in the in the chat room, then maybe he can take notes on this because he's on the on the hot seat for tomorrow for the next. That's right. And that's right. Um, uh, he'll be fine with it. It's actually not as hard as you might imagine, but it does require you just to be on your toes. Um, the way that I did it, and I apologize, it'll get a little bit jargon-heavy for a moment, but um, on my computer, I'll open up tweet chat, but I'll log in as I logged in as the Fam Med Chat account. So everything that I tweeted out of tweet chat came out as Fam Med Chat. And then I opened TweetDeck so I could tweet as myself and keep an eye on the discussion um, in a little bit of a different perspective. Um, because the way I view the moderator's role is to present the topic, um, frame it with a little bit of information. If there's an article that's involved, um, it's been sent out hopefully beforehand, but also it can be reposted for someone to read real quick if they're just getting in on the chat. Um, so you, you frame the topic and then you provide a jumping off point. And then um, you sort of make sure, uh, I was looking to make sure the pace of the discussion was going along okay. I was checking to see that um, there, there wasn't anyone who was coming in who seemed to be trying to spam the, the chat or trying to, to use it for self-promotion or, or, or kind of taking advantage of the forum in a way that didn't seem appropriate. Um, and then we, I had three questions lined up. And as the discussion flowed, I would try to get a sense of the pace of the incoming tweets, the 
the frequency that people were applying to each other and then tried to either ask kind of a subsidiary question. So Q1 might have been topic X. Maybe during the discussion, some little interesting tidbit pops up. So you ask kind of a, a question 1A, you know, what do you think about this specific angle? Um, or if it looks like the topic has pretty well been discussed, then say, well, now we're going to move on to question 2, frame it, give a jumping off point, start the discussion. Um, and the same thing for question 3. And then when the hour starts closing down, kind of help people bring it to a close, provide a chance for people to give their summary comments, provide a chance for people to um, know when to look for the next chat. Um, in your case, you've been kind enough to host the FAMMED chat um, page on your website, on your blog. So we have a place that people can contact if they have topics and ideas for future discussions. Um, at the same time, I'm doing all that in tweet chat with my logged in as the FAMMED chat account. On TweetDeck, if I, as Mark, have an opinion that I think is relevant, not as the moderator but as myself, then I can use that to make a couple of comments here and there or, or provide a perspective that maybe hasn't come up in the discussion otherwise. Um, I, 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 I took the, the approach pretty much from the chats that I've worked on that I've been a participant in before with uh, um, the way Dana Lewis runs the uh, HCSM chat and the way Phil Bauman runs the uh, MD chat, they, they, they do it a little bit differently. Um, they are involved as themselves to different extents, but in each case there's an introduction, there's um, a couple of disclaimers just making the comment that the discussion represents you know, the individual's views, not any organization they're affiliated with, um, and laying some of the groundwork. And, and I, I tried to to take ideas from each of them that I thought were, were good ideas and try to make it something that was more specifically my own. It's the same way that I tell medical students when I teach medical students, this is how, you know, when you practice, when you're in your office, you're going to do things based on what you see other people do. You'll take good ideas that you saw someone do and you'll, you'll reproduce them. You'll see someone do something you don't like or are uncomfortable with and you'll defer doing that again. And uh, at the end, you'll have something that is heavily influenced by the people um, that you, you learn from, but is specifically more your own. Um, the community would have to tell me how successful I was with it, but um, from my perspective as a moderator, it seemed to work pretty well. Yeah, I think it did, it did a, 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 a great job with that. It's uh, uh, kind of imagining it um, from a moderator standpoint. It's, it, sometimes it's, it can be difficult to see, hey, you know, when are things kind of winding down for this question? Um, because certainly you don't want to, you know, cut off people in the midst of, you know, ramping up of opinions and things. Uh, so the timing thing is, is, is always a fascinating for me to see how the moderators do that, just kind of see how they see the ebb and flow during the hour as far as, oh, well, is this, is this, is question one kind of dying down a little bit or are we getting a lot of the same type of comments and not really anything new? Is this time to start winding things up or telling people to start winding things up and then moving on to question two? It's interesting kind of seeing how that unfolds. Yeah, and, and I, I did learn, if, if Kevin is still in the, in the chat room, I did learn it's a little bit, when you change topics, a little bit like trying to uh, steer an oil tanker. You tell it what you want it to do but it lags behind actually doing it. So if you say, okay, we're going to you know, do question two now, here's question two, you have to anticipate that there will be a little bit of question one that's still being hashed out. So 
kind of working a little bit of lead time into when you make the change is something I would do a little bit differently last time. Um, it just takes a few minutes, uh, not even a few minutes, but a little bit more time than I might have expected to change the course of the discussion after I said let's change it, or now is the time to change it maybe is the better phrase, um, before it actually changed. And that's something that I think is just a matter of practice and experience. And as the community gets more comfortable with uh, with the chat, I think it becomes a little bit easier when you say let's go on to question two now. Um, people are there kind of waiting for question two because they've seen the discussion develop and then start to settle, and they know something's going to come next. Uh, yeah, there's a good question from Dr. Synonymous in our chat room, uh, and it may be difficult as a moderator, but it's an interesting question. Do, do you seek out the newbies, you know, the people who who are there for the first time, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and to see, maybe try to draw them out a little bit? Uh, is, is that something that, that you would recommend trying to do? Yeah. Um, I, I think it's 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 a, it's a good idea um, as the introductions um, are going on. So with, with each of the chats that I mirrored my moderating off of, there's sort of a you know if the chat starts at eight o'clock or nine o'clock or whatever the start time is, and then there's maybe seven or eight minutes of of introductions where people can just say hi and sort of like getting coffee before the meeting. Everyone just kind of chats a little bit in in in, in small groups or amongst each other. Um, and if you see new people in that setting, then it's, it's I think, a really nice thing to do to say, hi, welcome, thanks for coming. Even people you've seen before, I think it's nice to say, well, thanks for showing up again, because it just gets um, the chat started. It just kind of gets the conversation rolling. Um, my experience as a moderator is it would be really, really hard to do that easily during the chat itself, because in my case, I was multitasking back and forth between two different applications on my computer, trying to keep an eye on the discussion, trying to keep an eye on the time, it would be very easy for you to not notice if someone started discussing. Um, And then some of the comments that might come in from a new account may be a new person who wants to be more involved in the dialogue, or it may be somebody who is following one of the chat participants and retweeted that one tweet but doesn't intend to stay in the dialogue any longer. Um, right. So right. I think it's right. a little bit hard and on the fly. I think the easier time, and if you moderate or if you're involved in the chats over the course of a few weeks or a month, I, I think there's usually a core group that will be pretty consistent, and then when someone shows up in the introductions who's not in the core group, um, then you can welcome them in a little easier. But also, my experience is the group welcomes them in on their own. Some, yeah, you, you, you're right. I, I think that that, that that that's where the help of the community comes in, um, right. and say, hey, you know, you know, that the moderator is is doing an, enough stuff him or herself, and uh, you know, some of these core people that you're talking about can can be the ones to reach out and say, hey, you know, welcome, and and uh, you know, thanks for your great comment, and you're trying to encourage right. them to to continue uh, their participation. And the, the beauty of it is it's not even a delegated task. It's not as though the moderator says, Kevin, like, can you guys keep an eye out for, for new folks and help them along? I, I'm Going back to the whole concept of social media and, and the power as, that it has in communications and relationships and such, I think these communities really do start feeling like bona fide communities, like a community that would exist in a meeting in the real world also sitting around a conference table. Um, so I think that there's a lot of these core participants who come back regularly really believe that they are part of the community and 
it's not out of the ordinary for them to welcome somebody in because that's what anybody would do in this sort of community. Um. And you talked about this a little bit before. I may be putting you on the spot here a little bit, but we we, we did, uh, or I did, I did see it during the HCSM chat on Saturday night. As far as the mm-hmm. the appropriate and inappropriate use of some of these hashtags during these chats, as far as you know, people just calling people out, as far as you know, spamming people during a chat, or or the mm-hmm. misuse of 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 a hashtag. Did you have thoughts on? On 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 that, or or how you've seen the discussion mm-hmm. in the past few days, because there's been an interesting discussion on that. Yeah, I, I haven't been up on the discussion as well as I could have in the last couple of days with the preparations coming out this way. Um, but so the HSM chat talked a lot about what is sort of the appropriate and inappropriate use of the hashtag. Do you want people sending marketing, advertising, um, self promotional links, etc., tagging it as? HCSM or MD chat or FAMMED chat and having it sort of impose itself upon um, everybody who is following that hashtag or who's actively involved in that discussion. Um, and from my perspective, I feel like there is uh, an appropriate use of the hashtag where you should be looking to limit it to things that have value to those who are involved in the chat and not value to you as a business person per se, but value to the discussion that's going on or value to the community at large. So if I see an article that comes across, um, you know, one of the, the, the news reports or some, somebody uh, emailed me an interesting article, I may post it on a Monday morning with the HCSM tag. There's no conversation going on. There's no chat at that time. But anyone who follows HCSM can see it. But I do it very much with the perspective of, I think this is interesting information. I think this adds to the the group's knowledge. Um, I don't think it would be appropriate for me to say, you know, hey, Richmond, Virginia, hey, you know, the United States, I'm a family doctor, I do social media, Um, I'm awesome, you should all come be my patients, hashtag whatever. Um, Now, there's obviously gray zones in between, and that's where where the tricky bits come up. And... um, I don't know. I don't know that there's a standard set of rules for that as, uh, at this point. This is still, I think, a developing area. Um, the HCSM chat, Dana Lewis's policy during the chats has pretty much been there is no self-promotion during the chat. You can mention right. your blog or your website when you're introducing yourself. After the chat's over, there's no real restriction, but you shouldn't be coming into the chat room saying, you know, dudes, go buy my vitamin supplement. This is awesome. Um, right, exactly. Yeah. Off, yeah, it's, 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 it's a, a little harder to police. Yeah, it's it's a it's an evolving thing, you know, and, and you know, there really isn't any kind of you know set of rules on the road and that type of thing. And I think people are, it's interesting seeing people, you know, how they push limits there a little bit, and and uh, if people get called out, then you know some people will draw back, or or some people just keep going, and as far as spam goes, so it's interesting kind of seeing this, this uh, evolution of of uh, and opinions regarding appropriate and inappropriate use of hashtags. And I suspect what will happen is as communities form and strengthen around a topic, MD chat or HCSM or FEMMED chat or, you know, HPM or any of the other chats that have, that are, that already are out there, um, I wouldn't be surprised if there's just a greater role in the community policing the hashtag somewhat on its own, similar to welcoming new people into a discussion. If um, people are trying to follow a topic and keep getting in messages from a certain account or a handful of accounts that are very self-promotional or seem very uh, focused on just uh, putting themselves forward versus 
advancing the discussion as a whole, if those accounts don't end up getting some unwanted attention by people just pointing out, look, this is not an appropriate use. I think it comes back, I think it comes down to the idea of mutual respect. You know, are you in this chat to sell something, or are you in this chat because you want to learn, because you want to teach, because you think you're going to offer the discussion, because you want to get something bigger than the whole when it's all said and done. You know, the, the whole is more than the sums of its parts. And I think that um, if you come into the chats with a, with that idea in mind that you want to help build up the discussion in the community, it won't be an issue. If you're looking at it as a niche way to find a marketing thing, then eventually somebody will call you out. It may be the moderator. It may be the person who created the chat and had hence created the hashtag. They may not legally own it in any formal way. I would imagine that would be hard to prove, but they can still come and say, look, I started this discussion, and I think you're using this inappropriately. Um, but I think as, the, as this matures, it will become a little bit more of a community self-policing where individuals will say, look, you know, account X, this is not the right use for this tag. There's better ways to do this, and you should go find another way. Um, I guess on the line here is uh, Dr. Mark Ryan, a uh, family physician from Richmond, Virginia. You can find him on Twitter at uh, Richmond Doc. And uh, we are here in New Orleans. We are broadcasting live here from uh, the great city of New Orleans. Uh, we're here at the uh, annual spring conference for the Society of Teachers of Family Medicine uh, meeting here. And uh, we are tweeting out using the hashtag uh, SDFM, and I know I'm using it appropriately. Uh, but uh, I do want to give a big shout-out to a comment we have from Twitter uh, from uh, Kansas PCMH, who I know is listening to the show. Thank you for uh, listening to the show here live with us here this evening. And the comment is, ancillary moderators are helpful and welcoming on Twitter chat. So so thank you for that comment. Um, so, uh, Mark, let me switch gears here to STFM, because I, I did want to talk about this here a little bit. I know you're presenting here. Um, and we're going to try to we're going to try to do a little live streaming thing, live video stream on YouTube, which I'm very excited about. Um, but uh, you and Ben Miller are going to be having a presentation, um, I believe, tomorrow. Uh, can you share a little bit about what uh, what your presentation is going to be about? Sure. Um, so the uh, Ben Miller, who is at Miller Seven on Twitter, and I have uh, submitted the uh, the proposal for the talk, and we're we're happy to be accepted. The uh, what we are going to do is start from the perspective that the audience will probably be a number of folks who don't have a lot of experience with using social media in a very organized way beyond maybe just for some personal use. Maybe they have a Facebook account or something but really haven't thought how to use Twitter and other things and maybe aren't really all that familiar with the technology or the tools at all. Um, so be able to provide some introduction as to what the differences are with the strengths and weaknesses of what some of these things can be and then transition to discussing um, some of the ways well, so some of the cautions that one would need to keep in mind if you're using social media for any sort of health care or health-related communications, privacy issues, practice issues, legal issues, um, a lot of which is still sort of, you know, not terribly well-defined. Um, but because of that, I think you have to be aware that there are cautions, at least some, some kind of general common sense things that are worth looking for. Um, but then starting to talk a little bit about maybe more just a brainstorming idea right now as opposed to strong proposals or, or, or concrete proposals, but how could you use Facebook or Twitter or YouTube or um, Ustream or Walk Talk Radio or any of these tools as a way to communicate with patients and colleagues and, and peers and students and people in, in different levels of learning 
um, how could you use it if you're teaching residents, if you're teaching medical students? What are some practical uses? And I think that the point we're trying to make, well, there's, there's a few different points that we're trying to make, some of which are going to be pretty basic. You know, here's the technology, here's what, it, what some uses are. But more importantly, start to get people thinking about how this really could work and try to make the point that this, even though we don't meet face-to-face -face in a room together, you can make really meaningful, really strong connections through interactions on social media. Um, it, it's giving away the punchline a little bit, but not much, because it's, it's something that Ben and I have talked about when we've given similar talks before. Uh, when Ben and I submitted the abstract for the talk to STFM, we had never met in person. Um, I don't think we'd had a phone call yet. I think we'd interacted on Twitter. Really? Yeah. Wow. So this is this is this is a purely uh, social media created, not in person presentation. I love that. So the uh, what I would say is the the initial collaboration or the initial partnership developed strictly off of early interactions on social media through ACSM, kind of getting a feel for each other's uh, feeds of, of feel for each other's perspectives on Twitter. Um, seeing affinities, seeing resonance between things that we thought were important. Um, then some emails to kind of flesh out some of the ideas a little bit more. And then um, the idea came up, well, you know, we think that the simple fact that we're having this conversation kind of makes the point that, that there is valid, valuable connections to be made. There are valuable connections to be made through these tools. Um, are there? So, you know, I, we think that there's a point to be made, and we think oh, that... Oh, no! <laughs> if I'm still here. I still hear you. Can you still hear me? Are you still there? I don't know if Mike can hear me. I don't know if anybody can hear me, but uh, I can't hear anybody else right now. So they like. Right. Um, I don't know if anybody can hear me out in the block talk radio sphere, but I'm going to hang up and try calling back into Mike's podcast to see if we can uh, catch back up with each other. Let me see if people can hear me now. <laughs> oh man, this is uh, this is uh, this is the fun of uh, of live radio here. So I'm going to uh, maybe try to come back in here and see. Uh, I'm going to try to come back here and see if I can. Uh, if I can uh, <clears throat> get back in here. So uh, we'll see if this is going to work. We'll see if this is going to work. Uh, well, at least I can hear me back uh, in the uh, in the chat room. Uh, oh, what was he going to say? 
I think he's got. I think he's back here. Mark, are you there? I am still here. Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah. My Skype crashed, and uh, uh-huh. which I'm actually, I'm actually surprised it held up this long. <laughs> <laughs> With this uh-huh. internet connection here, so. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it, 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 it's all, it, we're on the cutting edge of the new frontier, man. We got to expect some bumps along the road. That's right, you know. I mean, it's uh, I'm I'm kind of re- I'm kind of re- rebooting here, so uh, um, so yeah, so so I'm catching up here. So I uh, I encourage people to go because uh, we, we're. Uh, we're we're working with the uh, with the organization here with uh, Society of Teachers of Family Medicine to really try to make a huge family medicine social media footprint uh, during this meeting, um, including um, having people tweet out. We're trying um, this uh, live video stream during the presentation. We're doing our fan med chat. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm very excited about it. I'm very excited that mm-hmm. uh, that STFM um, is. Um, you know, basically allowing us to do this because a lot of organizations right, right. that I work with, they're like, uh, what is it? We don't get it. What's, the, you know, I don't know what, what and I'm not sure. Right, right. Now, it, 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 through some, some help, um, Ben Miller, uh, Miller7, is uh, works with SCFM already, so has some um, connections that it makes it a little bit easier, but they've been very generous at offering us the opportunity and, at the very least, um, not... In impeding us from kind of running these ideas past and putting together some things that we think make sense with the intent of um, making the information more accessible to folks. Um, obviously, it, is, it doesn't take the place of being at the conference yourself. So um, in the long run, there's still a lot of benefit to being here to meet people, but not everybody can. And if you have somebody who can't get away from their duties, their work, their practice, whatever, um, or or has a specific interest, they can follow along and try to catch um, I think I switched back here. Can, can you hear me now? I can. I can hear you again. Oh, good. Good, good, good. good. Yeah, because there's more people in our chat room here seeing me uh, having my meltdown. Uh, so <laughs> thanks, thanks, everybody, for the new, for the new listeners uh, who are <laughs> really close to uh, – Having a hear me do a live meltdown on the show here, so. <laughs> um, but I, I'm really excited about these next few days from a social media standpoint, um, and obviously from from a family medicine standpoint as well, um, to see kind of you know what what kind of stuff we can we can do with this type of format, um, and because yeah, I, and you you and I have seen other meetings. Uh, you know, take a big leap uh, in trying to, you know, broadcast some of their sessions, you know, over the internet, using mm-hmm. Twitter, using Facebook. Because um, I'm really seeing that that's kind of where, where meetings are going. Um, and, and having people participate from their home or from their office if they cannot right. be there physically in person, that's kind of where I'm seeing th- this meeting format going. What do you well, think? I think it's going to become even more important. Um, as uh, professional medical societies, the you know American Academy of Family Physicians, the, the state chapters, AMA, the American Psychiatric Association, as we start reassessing relationships with pharmaceutical companies and who should be sponsoring our education, in-person education becomes more expensive if pharmaceutical companies aren't underwriting it. So I think 
more distance learning, more webinars and web chats and things like that may fill a gap um, that allows for some meaningful interaction with your colleagues, which is part of the point of CME, um, but more efficiently at a lower cost, more accessible to people. Um, and that's, I can see a niche there that is ready to be developed further, especially if the professional medical societies start moving in the direction of trying to reduce uh, pharmaceutical support or industry support for meetings. Um, in Virginia, we're actually required um, that a certain amount of CME hours have to be live in-person hours in order to keep your license. When you reapply for your license, you have to vouch for the fact that your CME included X number of live hours. And I think that that sort of definition may have to be readjusted a little bit if the cost of CME goes up as pharmaceutical companies and other medical industries start to reassess their priorities and the payoff for where they're putting their money. If it's not helping them so much to support medical meetings, then they won't. Or if the rules and requirements shift, I think it's harder to support a medical meeting. They won't. They'll find other resources that are more useful to them and then physicians will end up carrying more of the cost of the CME, which in my mind then opens up the opportunity for quality distance learning things to develop. Right, right, yeah, yeah. It's 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 very interesting, um, and I think I think Kevin, MD student thirty one, maybe maybe touching upon this during his chat as far as medical education um, with social media um, during the uh, chat tomorrow night, which were. Uh, uh, <laughs> constantly uh, promoting <laughs> uh, Thursday, April twenty eighth uh, at nine p.m. Eastern Time, eight p.m. Central. That's right. Yeah, tiny baby yeah. Chat, so we have to give it a little helping it, hand. Yeah, well, it's, it's for people who 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 you know. It, 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 it's kind of the, uh, the 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 baby pool, <laughs> the waiting pool <laughs> of Twitter chats. People just want to put their toe in, you know, before right, they get right. into the big ocean of the Sunday night chat. You know, that's uh, that's that's uh, uh, kind of how I'm telling people about it. <laughs> Although it's it's also a great example of how um, a community of interested participants in other chats or other online discussions sort of realized that there was an opening, a space to discuss things that were more specific to one subgroup. I mean, HCSM chat is open to a huge number of participants based on being a patient, a communicator, a marketer, a physician, a nurse, a nurse practitioner. Um, MD chat, it doesn't restrict the participation. You can be on the MD chat regardless of whether you're a physician or not. Um, but the topics that come up are going to be a little bit more specific to issues for physicians. So um, we may discuss um, payment reform, healthcare delivery reform, stuff that um, a lot of non-medical people will have an interest in, but it will be a little bit of a smaller niche. The FAMMED chat is sort of another development where we're dealing with issues that may interest a lot of physicians and a lot of non-physicians, but with a specific angle of what it means to family physicians um, and, and people interested in um, the patient-centered medical home and team-based care, which is what a lot of us, I think, see healthcare moving towards over the course of the next five or ten years for a lot of different reasons. Um, so oh. it's kind of the natural progression of honing in on a certain perspective that is not as interesting to every chatter, 
but very interesting to some people who may not even be all that interested in some of the other chats because it's a little broader than what they're looking for. Yeah, and and, uh, and we talked about it kind of in what I call our production meetings, basically our email email chats, um, <laughs> and trying to find the balance uh, between um, kind of the hardcore, you know, family medicine group, you know, um, right. you know, very very detailed issues, um, and, and and trying to balance that with with people who um, are, you know, they they believe in family medicine. You know, but you know, they may not be in medicine. They may not be, you know, that well versed in in our training and, and what we do. Uh, so we don't want to marginalize them, but we still want to keep kind of the core group happy. And and, and that's kind of the, the challenge of, of a moderator or 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 the core group of people who are putting this together and say, hey, you know, we want to have some questions that appeal to a broader sense and some questions that really appeal to you know a more narrow sense and i think that's that's the, i think i think it's very cool trying to find that balance uh and we're going to try to we're going to try to do that every week yeah. uh so i think and, i think and, it's very fun and we'll get it wrong i mean we'll have some chat at some Absolutely. point where you, we just won't quite find that sweet spot but um that's part of yeah, i agree with you that's part of that's part of what makes it interesting that's part of the challenge and that's part of of sort of the fun of it you know we have essentially a little de facto planning committee of three or four folks who help hash out some of the ideas. Um, but the exact tone, the exact tenor of the discussion is going to depend greatly on who shows up, who's there in the chat room, who's available to help out, who's moderating, where you put the emphasis. So I think there's a lot of richness to be dug into um, without getting too hyper-specific. I mean, no one wants an hour-long chat about how to build a 99212 versus a 99213, that would bore a lot of us. And no one outside of a very small group would look for that discussion to be to be all that strikingly interesting. But finding a broader topic like medical education or healthcare delivery reform that will interest a lot of people and looking at it through the lens of what is it to be a family medicine physician in the U.S. these days? What is it exactly. like and what, what do we wish it was? What do we want it to be in the future? Um, right. We've. I personally have reached out to uh, students, both MD Student 31, Kevin, who's already an integral part of this, but also some of the medical students I've met on Twitter, um, and and tried to make sure that they're aware of the chats there because, you know, maybe they're not at a point in their career where they're looking at family medicine. Maybe they've decided a different field might might be more their interest. Um, even though we all know family medicine rocks, it's something that. They may have chosen a different a different course, but there's still a lot of value to be gained in teaching or helping specialists understand what the world looks like through our eyes so that the team will be stronger heading forward. Similarly, for nurses, for um, as practitioners, folks who work in a, in along with us, um, the chat can come from a family medicine perspective but still have relevance to a lot of people outside of the family medicine community. Uh, and, and something that, that that I'm very excited about is that when when I was in Seattle in in the fall, um, and I, I was a, a part of an in-person Sunday night HCSM chat, which is a mm. brings a whole different flavor. And we're going to try to get some core people here uh, in New Orleans uh, for tomorrow night to try to find somewhere just to get uh, people uh, in the same area or in the same room chatting, which is a, kind of a surreal experience because you're talking to people through your keyboard, but then you actually right. see the person next to you. 
Uh, and that's that, that that adds more fun to the whole thing, um, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that'll be fun to to try to try to pull that off and uh, to see. And, and if people are listening uh, to us right now who are at this meeting, um, we're going to try to find a place where we can all gather to do our fan med uh, chat. And uh, I'm going to try to post it up um, on uh, on my uh, blog there. And kind of the the, the short little URL is uh, bit.ly/fanmedchat. Um, or familymedicinerocks.com, so that'll be kind of the the the, the updates in that. Or just just kind of follow us on Twitter, and uh, we'll try to find a place where we can all get together and uh, and chat. So I'm, I'm, that's something I'm really looking forward to tomorrow night. Well, since um, since Ben and I are doing um, our talk early enough in the day, we can also try to make um, even if we don't have a set place, at least try to make sure folks know how to follow the conversation. So once we decide where we can do this. Anyone who's at that talk who wants to participate would be able to know that, that that is going on to try to see if we can capture some additional participation there. Um, on the line with me, uh, 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 getting through the show here, going through our technical problems, <laughs> is Dr. Mark Ryan, uh, Richmond Doc on Twitter. And in our closing moments here, something I, I really want to ask you about because I'm very jealous about this is uh, you're, you're on the advisory board. Uh, for the uh, Mayo Clinic Center for Social Media. Yeah. I'm very jealous about that. Yeah. It's very cool. Kind of tell me how that evolved and, and, and how. Um, you know, mm-hmm. I, like, was there an application process? I, I, I mm-hmm. remember remotely kind of how that all happened, but, but share kind of sure, your experience sure. with that. Um, so the process that they had, my, from when, when Mayo Clinic started its, its external advisory board, because they have an internal one made up of Mayo Clinic folks, um, I, that the initial 10, I think, people were, were um, announced. And I don't know how they were chosen or vetted or how the application process went. That was all something that was uh, done fairly early on. But the intent was always to have the advisory board to be larger than just those 10. The initial thought, I think, was um, they would have 20 or 25 um, total. And then they put the other spots that were not filled out for sort of public crowdsourcing nominations or applications. Um, and uh, a couple of people that I write a blog with, um, who I know, again, only through Twitter and through a co- and a lot of emails now and some phone calls, um, both thought that I would be someone who could help out with uh, the external advisory board. Um, and what the, what, what the intent was, what the process was, was basically um, write uh, a letter, an essay, however you want to phrase it, um, include why you think you should be on the group, include what you think your qualifications are and what you offer, um, and then applicants were encouraged to sort of put the word out, let people talk about it, blog about it, tweet about it, whatever you thought was the best approach to sort of get support for your, your application. Um, I was, at that point, still, I was I was pretty active on Twitter, but I wouldn't consider myself as a someone who had a ton of influence at all. Um, I still think I'm I'm talking a lot to a few people and some to more, meaning some people follow me closely. A lot of people probably just dip their toes in every now and then. Um, so I, I went ahead and, and sent in the, the, the application um, and didn't really push it too hard after that. I was hoping that if uh, Liasi and the, the group looked at the application and looked at my Twitter feed and the blog and whatnot and the things that I was doing already, um, that hopefully that would be that would speak for itself. Um, 
in whatever way they needed it to. And I got an email in January, I guess, maybe early February, um, with the good news that, that they had elected to bring me on board if I was in agreement with the uh, the role of the external advisory board and what I would have to do as one of the board members. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, it's a great opportunity. I'm really excited to be part of the group. It's not a terribly exciting story in the sense that um, I didn't do anything incredibly different. I just tried to keep showing, I guess, that I want to be involved in this, that I think there's real value in this. And my perspective as a primary care provider, as a practicing physician, as someone who teaches medical students who works internationally, um, that there was enough different aspects of the whole process that was of, of value that, that they would find it useful. Um, I was probably as surprised as anybody else because I modeled a lot of what I do off of what I've seen other people do. Um, so there are mentors or people that were sort of guides to me getting involved um, who didn't end up on the advisory board. Um, but I'm hoping that I can live up to that and be a productive part of the group and be helpful to the discussions that go on there and, and provide value for my presence. So what are the kind of the expectations or, I mean, do, do you have like conference call meetings or do, does, mm-hmm. do, do they ask you for input or feedback? What what what, uh, what, so what are the, they asking um, you to do being on the board? At, at this point, um, I, I don't want to speak for the board. I'm not, you know, in a position to to, to do that. But, the uh, the sense I have is that there's still um, some work kind of ironing out exactly what the process is going to be. There's a um, but there's a public Mayo Clinic uh, Center for Social Media um, website that is accessible to anybody where they'll post relevant information. But then there's a uh, social media health network that has certain member groups, and they may be health systems, they may be individuals, they may be hospitals, they may be whomever. Um, and that who is in that group is determined by someone else. As far as I know, we don't have any any impact in that. But they will come with questions or they'll ask questions to the group. And those of us who are in a position to give some guidance or some help or discuss our experiences um, in whatever sense it can be of value are, are expected slash hope that we will jump in and try to provide some feedback and some input. Um, we're also expected to produce to write blog posts and to, to put some thoughts out there trying to kind of clarify the role of social media and healthcare from the different perspectives of the group. Because we have people in the group um, from different areas. There's other physicians, there's patient advocates, there's folks interested in security and privacy issues. Um, there's legal folks on there. There's a lot of different angles. And the goal, as I see it, is with all of these different perspectives joined by the belief that social media has a meaningful role to play heading forward, um, it gives kind of a central place to hash out some of these ideas. Um, and then each of us in the group can also extend that discussion on our blogs or on our posts or on our Twitter or our, our Twitter accounts or what have you, um, and, and just try to keep the discussion going. Um, as of right now, there have been a couple of conferences uh, with, with, with Reagan um, Communications, one in Seattle, um, just, I want to say just like a week or so ago, um, and then one in Jacksonville back in March. In both cases, it came on fairly quickly, so there not everybody could make it, but the expectation will be hitting forward. 
that there'll be a big summit in October, um, the opportunity to do smaller meetings and maybe eventually phone conferences and stuff down the road. But I, I feel like there's still some of the the process that's being determined sort of as you go, kind of like building a bridge as you're crossing the chasm. You have to plan ahead, but you can only step so far ahead before you have to figure out how to get past another another hiccup or fine-tune part of the process. Uh, yeah, I was uh, uh, I, w- I was lucky enough to be asked to be on a panel for the October conference um, up uh, up at Mayo, um, right. and uh, I'm lo- very looking forward uh, to that. Uh, so, Mark, did, did, were you able to, to attend the Jacksonville conference or the, the, no, the Seattle no. conference? No, uh, I haven't been able to go to either of them, unfortunately. And uh, the the conference in Jacksonville fell at the same time that Ben Miller and I were presenting about social media at a patient-centered medical home conference. It was the exact same week, and there was no way I could be in the two places at once. And then the uh, the the one in Seattle that just came, um, similarly, I had another obligation. And with this conference, the SCFM conference, already having committed to come here and do the presentation, I couldn't take that much time away from my clinical time. So I wasn't able to go to either one. Excuse me. Uh, yeah, because actually, I was I was I was going to plan to go to uh, the October one just as a attendee because <laughs> I was <laughs> very curious about it, and uh, so uh, um, I'm glad that they uh, asked me to to be on a panel there. So I'm, I'm very excited yeah. about that. So I'm so really that's gonna looking be forward I, to the. I'm really looking forward to the first time I can actually meet some of these folks that I've had really interesting discussions with over time. Um, because I think as, as valuable as the social media connections are, when you actually get to talk to somebody in person, it just, as you know, kind of fleshes out the relationship. You get a better feeling for exactly who you're working with and, and what their perspectives are. But there's an awful lot of really smart, really talented people on that on that board, and I'm hoping to learn as much as I can during my time there, um, even if uh, hopefully I will do enough to make it worth their time, but I'm hoping to get as much out of it because um, it's a great opportunity to have some really smart, really cutting-edge folks working together with a similar goal. Um, my guest here is uh, Dr. Mark Ryan. I think uh, I, I think it's uh, we're, we're, it's getting time for me to uh, to. Uh, Get a beverage. <laughs> so, so as we uh, as we close up the show here this evening, uh, Mark, uh, you have any closing thoughts as far as you know this meeting or social media or or things that you would like to to see or things that you see on the horizon, and then maybe close that up with how can people find you out there sure. on the internet? Sure. Um, so I just m- m- the, the closing thought and the the thing actually which I use as an opening thought most of the time when I'm having these discussions with folks who aren't as familiar with social media is just trying to really underline the fact that the relationships you make online through these connections are really meaningful, are really can be deep connections. Um, There's a tendency for folks to look at social media, Twitter, and say, well, all people ever do is talk about where they're going, where they've had lunch, and who they're hanging out with on the weekend. And Twitter, you know, lots of baby pictures, and outside Facebook, a lot of baby pictures, and not much more. Um, so you you have to kind of work with folks who are skeptical about it to just get them to understand that, yeah, it, it is different making a connection through Twitter or Facebook than it would be meeting someone. But 
not as different as you think, and it still provides an opening which can then be developed into something more substantial. Um, it lets you meet people you wouldn't have met otherwise because of distance, because of profession, because of obligations. Um, it's an incredibly valuable tool for me to keep up with information, both clinical information. You know, you follow some accounts and you get updates about new treatments, new medications, new guidelines, um, healthcare policy, healthcare reform. Um, it keeps me up to date on a lot of that stuff faster than I would get it elsewhere. And it's allowed me to develop a couple of viable projects in the sense of the blog that I mentioned earlier and um, the, the, the presentations Ben Miller and I are doing. None of these would exist if I hadn't been for involved in social media. And I feel very strongly that each of these projects is, is a viable thing, is a real project, not just a vanity thing for a couple of goes and then we leave it alone, but um, that there will be more developing items over time. So I, my closing point, I guess, would be to say that folks need to be it's not the starting point in this discussion because obviously folks who found us found us through these 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 these, these means of communication. Um, but when I talk to folks who are new to this, um, don't dismiss it just because it seems different or because it does seem superficial. Because sometimes it can be, but you can take it much deeper. You can work the the tools differently to get that depth that it's hard to come by in the short messages or the brief context. And you can really form long-term viable partnerships um, on personal levels, on professional levels. And uh, who knows, down the road, maybe if this takes hold, there may be more opportunity to work with patients in specific ways um, in the team-based care, the patient-centered medical home model that will make outcomes better for everybody. Um, now, in terms of where I am online, um, my Twitter feed, as you mentioned, is at Richmond Doc, uh, like Richmond, the city, Virginia, Richmond DOC. Um, my blog, I have a couple. One is richmonddoc.blogspot.com. Um, I was just amazed no one had taken Richmond Doc yet, so I grabbed it wherever I could. Um, and <laughs> it, it, it has sort of become my de facto identifier, identifier because it's easy to remember. Um, and then the blog that I share with uh, um, Carmen Gonzalez and Mark DeMore, who are on Twitter, uh, Mark is Mark's phone, Carmen is CR Gonzalez. I, God, I hope that's right or she'll get me. Um, but um, it's, it's, a, it's, it's, it's an acronym blog title, so it's a little bit annoying, but it's smhcop.wordpress.com. It's social media healthcare community of practice is the uh, the words that are abbreviated in the title, and that's where we we discuss issues about social media healthcare, kind of taking the HCSM chats as a jumping off point, but then trying to develop in different directions based on who we are. Um, Mark is very interested in adult education and continuing medical education. Um, there, from the clinician standpoint, Carmen is uh, uh, interested in clinical trials, a lot of patient advocacy stuff. So the three of us look at the same topic from different different angles, and I think we really supplement and complement what each other what the others do on the blog. And uh, you're going to be presenting live uh, tomorrow at uh, 3 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Central um, on UStream. Your uh, presentation entitled "Patient-Centered Engagement: A Social Media Approach." And just follow uh, uh, follow us on Twitter, and uh, we'll get you the link. Uh, uh, presuming that we can get everything working on the video stream. <laughs> and uh, if it all works, 
when you see Ben and me up on stage, um, Ben's the snappy dresser. I'm the one who will be um, much less snappily dressed. <laughs> uh, and I do want to let people know that, that the, the, the first in-person uh, meeting of me and Richmond Doc here will be uh, 10 minutes after this show uh, in the hotel lobby. Uh, and uh, for people who are in our live chat room, there, we do have some guests in the chat room, and um, I'm, I'm presuming there are people uh, here at the meeting. So if people are here listening to the show and uh, uh, you want to come and hang out with us, we'll be down in the lobby there for a little bit um, and then maybe explore the town there a little bit. So, uh, But I want to thank everybody for, for joining me. And I want to thank you, Mark, for, for coming on the show. We're, we're definitely going to have you back on the show. We uh, uh, do have some ideas on, on other things we can try to explore and, and partnering with the uh, fan med chat. Because uh, it was kind of cool last week uh, having having the guests on talking about uh, talking about elder care. Then we had the, then we had the right. chat, and uh, we have an idea for next week, which I'll tease, which I won't share with anybody yet. But you know about it, Mark. <laughs> uh, but the idea I have uh, for that. So 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 I'm very excited. It's 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 having having this thing kind of grow here is is uh, is very interesting. So so Mark, thank you so cool. much for coming on the show, and uh, I'll, I'll meet you downstairs in a little bit. Sounds good. Thanks for the opportunity. I'll see you in the in the future. All right. All right. Okay, kids, so we have, I have about 30 seconds left here in the show. So go to familymedicinerocks.com, get you all the information, and uh, especially about the activities here at STFM here in New Orleans here uh, for this week. That will get you all the information. But I want to thank everybody for, for joining me here this evening and uh, for tolerating the uh, technical difficulties here. So uh, so there's no closing song here for me uh, tonight here. It's just uh, me saying uh, good night. From New Orleans. We'll see you out there on Twitter. Good night, everybody. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.